Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Okay, we're going to, uh, we're going to reenact a play this evening. And so, uh, in Scripture, in the book of Judges, so if you take your Bibles and turn to Judges 17, you may not be real familiar with Judges 17 through 21. We don't have time to go through all of it, and some of it's pretty gruesome. Like the guy who took the woman and cut her in 12 different pieces and sent her body parts to the children of Israel. My wife said, you're not going to talk about that, are you? And I said, no, I'm not. But I'm going to deal with chapter 17 and 18. And it's about a character by the name of Micah. It's not the same Micah that's a minor prophet. That Micah is much different and, uh, than the one we are reading about today. Now, the book of Judges is divided into three parts, three sections. There's an introductory section that goes from the beginning of chapter 1 through the fifth chapter of chapter 3. And then from verse 6 of chapter 3 on through chapter 16, you find the series of Judges that we're familiar with somewhat, starting with Othniel, what a great name, and uh, Ehud, love Ehud. The Bible talks about him being left-handed, which I am. And he killed the, the wicked king with his left hand, which the king wasn't looking for. And uh, so he's always noted as the left-handed uh, judge. That's great. Then you have a guy with a great name, Shamgar. Would you love to have a name like that? And then you come across a more commonplace name of Deborah in chapter 4 of the book of Judges. And you go through Deborah, and eventually you get to Gideon. And eventually in chapter 10... You have this long six-chapter section uh, dealing with the life and the sad end of Samson. But that's not where the book ends. The book, the book has five more chapters, six more chapters in it, beginning at chapter 17. Now, the interesting thing is, the writer of the book of Judges is going to tell you chapters 17 and 18 but chronologically, they don't happen after Samson. You hear that? Chronologically, they don't happen after Samson. They actually happen soon after the death of Joshua. And so when you read that, i got to tell you that, and there's a reason for that, is that the author is laying out what the problem is and how, it's, how it is illustrated in even the worst things of chapters 19 through 21 than, than actually did happen in chapters 17 and 18. Now, the famous verses of Scripture that you remember from the book of Judges would be, and there was no king in Israel, and everyone did that which was what? Right in his own eyes. Now, chapter 17 is the first time you see that expression. Not the beginning of 17. Don't, don't get ahead of me. The play hadn't started yet. We're still doing the prologue. And so as you get into that, then you find that that verse is repeated almost word for word by the time you get to the end of the book of Judges in chapter 21. So now as we're seeing this, um, Matthew Henry, great commentator, years gone by, makes a statement. It is cast here, in other words, these two chapters, it is cast here into the latter part of the book that it might not interrupt the history of the judges. 
There are several unbelievable stories, as I told you in chapters 19 through 21, that illustrate that oft-referred words that I gave you of, of uh, in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which is right in his own eyes. But there were some unique features that should be noted in these chapters that we're going to be looking at. Even though there were several oppressors, foreign oppressors, that are listed in the book, for example, uh, Mesopotamia people, uh, the Gideonites, or uh, Midianites dealing with Gideon, uh, the Philistines dealing with Samson, uh, the Canaanite king Jabin and his general Sisera that deal with Deborah and her commander. And all these people are there in the book of Judges, but by the time you get to chapter 17, that's talked about here and the rest of the book, that there's no enemy without. The enemy is actually within. And that would kind of be the theme of what I want to talk to you about this evening. Dealing with the enemy from within. So 17 and 18 take place toward the beginning of the book of Judges to let you know that there's a problem on the inside. Then you see that there's oppressors, but by the time you get to 19, 20, and 21, it's back to those enemies that are within. The Israelites are not accused in this section book of Judges by worshiping foreign gods. Isn't that interesting? They appear to be worshiping God in an improper way, and that's important. We see a lot of things going on today that are in the name of Christianity that are no more biblical than anything. The way we're, we're taught to think morally um, and otherwise, it's a very anti-God way of thinking. And so the problem is, is they wanted to worship God in many of these places, but they were doing it in an improper way. And we're going to see that graphically illustrated in chapter 17. So in looking at that, it kind of reminds you, as we get into this, there's a reminder of what happened in Exodus 32 with the people just saying, we threw in this gold, out came this calf. To me, that's one of the most amazing excuses in Scripture. Oh, we threw in this gold, out came this calf. That's like you say to your children, how did this room get to looking like this? I don't know. It just happened. It's interesting also that there are no judges named in this section, chapter 17 and 18, and then in 19, 20, and 21. We're going to look and review chapter 17 and 18 tonight, but the author withholds some certain information from us until the end of the chapter, chapter 18, and verses 30 and 31. Don't look there now. Verses 30 and 31 gives us the reason of what was happening and what we learn from it. But you can't look at it yet. The play has to go from the beginning to the end before you can understand. So let's start with our chapter 17. And so we're going to divide this in two acts. And each act has two, two scenes. And so the first scene is what we're going to see at the beginning of chapter 17. It'll run through the first six verses of this chapter. And there was a man of Mount Ephraim. It's always interesting. There was a man. There, there was a man. And the Bible says he gives him a name. And his name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, this is 
This is beautiful. He said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, and spakest of also in mine ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, uh-oh. You know, if she would say what Scooby-Doo would say, uh-oh. She's cursed her son. Now she has to reverse the curse. So at the end of the verse of Scripture, she says, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. That's a great line. So in introducing it, we find out about this character by the name of Micah. And the Bible tells us that he comes from um, Mount Ephraim, or the hills of Ephraim. Now, that's in the middle of Israel. Now, if you have a Bible that gives you the maps of the children of Israel, where they were all given inheritance, that you remember that the tribe of Dan, they don't come out until later on in Act 2 and so forth. But so the tribe of Dan was given inheritance right in the middle of Israel, right next to west of Judah and west of Benjamin was the tribe of Dan. Problem of it is they didn't locate there. And I'll tell you the reason for that as we get into this chapter of Scripture. So we find out in the middle of this section of the area where the tribe of Dan should have been is we have this individual whom the Bible tells us, I want to tell you his name. His name is Micah, and he dwells in this area of Ephraim. Now, the Bible tells us some interesting things about this character. He tells us he's not a model son, number one. But neither was his mother a model mother. Micah had stolen 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother. She then, now this is, this is beautiful, she then, in the presence of her son's ear, she pronounces a curse upon whoever stole that. Now, she doesn't say that he stole it, but you kind of get the idea she thinks he did because she says this curse right in his ear. And so as she pronounces this curse, it was probably not a biblical curse like we've seen in Scripture in other places. For example, in Deuteronomy 27, verse 15, we find this verse of, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Now, time-wise, that statement didn't happen that long ago from chapter 17 of the book of Judges. So, she's pronouncing this curse, but it wasn't a biblical curse. It was something, maybe she was cursing him that you'll never marry or you'll... You'll never be wealthy or something along the line that she would come up with. But it was something serious enough that it got the attention of her son who had stolen 1,100 shekels of silver. So the Bible tells us that her son then confessed this. So now she had to reverse the curse. She now pronounces a blessing on him in in verse 2, which I read to you. So when Michael returns... Micah, not Michael. Micah returns the 1,100 pieces of silver. The mother, what did she do? Let's continue reading. Um, let's, get, let's start there in verse 2. 
And he said unto his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest and spakest of also in mine ears. There it is. Can you imagine this? The Bible's telling you all this. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. Now, you notice in your Bible, the Lord is spelled in capital letters. And what that also always means is that's the term of Jehovah, Yahweh, the covenant God. It's the highest form of talking about God. And um, so she takes that word and she says, Blessed are now of the Lord thy son. And she's taking this. And what does she want to do with those 200 shekels of silver that she is giving back to her son after he confessed to taking the 1100. She says, make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. Remember I said that the writer here is trying to get us to understand of the wickedness from within. Now, obviously, this is letting us know that there's a real problem with people breaking the second commandment. You won't make any graven image. In fact, she uses the same two terms of a graven image and molten image that is used in the Ten Commandments and other places. So she's obviously familiar with that commandment. And she says to him, take it and make an, Im make an image out of it. Now the story gets better. We're still on Act 1, Scene 1. So let's move on. So when he had restored, uh, I've given you that, I'll restore it unto thee. Let's go to verse 4. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and the mother took the 200 shekels of silver and gave it them to the founder, or the craftsman who made thereof a graven and image and molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. So she takes these images or whatever she made there, and she doesn't keep them for herself. She gives them to her son. She says, oh, you have them. Let them be in your house. There's a reason for that. And the man Micah had a house of gods. What does that remind you of? Remember Rachel, before she left, she went to her uncle's house or her dad's house, Laban, and, um, and she takes all of his household gods. With her, she takes off. Laban gives her a hard time for it. But, so she, there's a feeling even among these Israelites that they want to keep their household gods. And so she takes that, has a house, he has a house of gods, and made an ephod. You know what an ephod is? It's like a long flowing gown. It can be short, it can be sleeveless, but it was what, something that a priest would wear. And there's a reason he has that. Notice what it says and a teraphim, and consecrated one of his sons and made him his priest. And he became his priest. Boy, you have a bunch of problems in that one passage of Scripture. For one thing, there's idolatry, yes. For another thing, he's got priestly garments and priestly apparel. He shouldn't have had that. He wasn't a Levite. And he was acting in the role of a priest, which was dead wrong. There again, remember I told you about is the writer is trying to say it's not the foreign gods that are the problem, 
The problem is you're worshiping God in the wrong way. And that's greatly illustrated in the house of Micah. Now notice this. Here is our first, in verse 6, the first usage of that great line. In those days there was no king in Israel. But every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now the first part of the, of the verse appears several times in the book. There in those, in those days there was no king of Israel. That happened several times. But I believe it's only twice that you see the whole phrase. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, at that point, we end scene, act one, scene one. Now we go to scene two. Because the writer here in writing, this is what's called historical narrative. He's giving you stage by stage of what's happening. And he says, and there was a young man of Bethlehem. A young man of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was not that far away. But he was of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. Now, let's make sure we understand what's going on. <clears throat> Levites were a group of people that God separated and used, and they were not allowed to inherit a land. It was just the 12 tribes, but the, it, but the Levites did not inherit. So how did they support themselves? They supported themselves by going around acting as a priest to the various families in these among these 12 tribes, and through the tithes and support that he would get for them, that's how they supported themselves. So here's this guy, and he's, he's out of work. He has no place to go. So he's traveling around trying to find somebody who would hire him. So he's an out-of-work Levite. Now the important thing is, at this point, you don't know his name. But you will later. But not now. Because the important thing is not what his name is. The important thing is what he's doing. Okay, so here we go. Let's keep reading. There was a young man of Bethlehem, uh, Bethlehem Judah, the family of Judah, who was a Levite and he sojourned there. The man departed out of the city of Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. In other words, where he could find work. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. So all of a sudden, this guy comes upon this house of this guy, Micah. And remember, Micah's the guy that stole the 1,100 pieces of silver. Micah's the guy that his mother took back part of it. And when he confessed to it, because he thought he was going to get cursed, and then they made these graven images, and he put them in his house and put them up on his rack with all of his other gods. And he made his son his priest. Now comes along a real Levite. A real Levite. Notice what happens. Verse 9. And Michael said unto him, Whence comest thou? Now, what are you doing here? That's the way we would say it. What are you doing here? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Ah! 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 And you don't see that in Hebrew. But what he's saying is, is that dwell with me. This is wonderful. And be unto me a father and a priest. And I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year and a suit of apparel and thy victuals are my food and give you a retirement plan worth keeping. Now that's an addition. So the Levite went in. Now remember, 
Micah had a son, so he was old enough to have a grown son whom he trained or coaxed into being his family's priest. But now there comes across a real Levite, and this Levite's looking for work. Micah sees him, realizes who he is, and realizes he could stay, and he says, let me offer you a job. And he gives him a place to stay, gives him food, gives him a new suit of clothes, and dwells there. This is all in Act 1, Scene 2. Notice this, verse 11. And the Levite was content to dwell with him. I guess so. That's another addition to the Hebrew. And the young man who was, young man was unto him as one of his sons. So this guy had it good. He was a Levite, he was a priest, he had an income, he had food, he had clothing, he had a place to stay. And Micah was treating him like a child of his own. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and he was at the house of Micah. Then said Micah, and this is important here, now I know, now know I that the Lord will do me good. What do you think that means? In what way? Financial. So in other words, he, Micah was saying to him, now that I have you, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to have it made. Things are going to be great with me. No more stealing from my mother. Can you imagine how dysfunctional a house that would be? That's like going back to the house of Jacob. And Jacob and Esau and, and Rebecca and Isaac and the dysfunction that was in that house and one parent favoring this child and the other parent favoring this child and the lying and the conniving and all this stuff was going on. And you say, how can that happen? Listen, the Bible tells you how it happened. It happens because there's trouble within where well, the Bible tells us what our heart is like, is deceitful and desperately wicked, who can know it? And the Bible gives you graphic illustrations of how it can happen. Okay, so let's keep going. Now this is act two, have an intermission. Every play has an intermission. So in this intermission now, we are going to change scenery. Just like on the stage, they would, Close the curtain, change all the scenery, and then open the curtain, lights come up, you're in a different place. So now in chapter 18, the Bible's going to tell us about a different group of people, and Micah and the Levite are not in this right away. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Remember I told you that expression occurs, but not the last part. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in for unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. So you say, what does that mean? It means this. When, when the Israelites were crossing the Jordan River, and Joshua was giving them all the places where they were going to live, they had the responsibility to do what? They had the responsibility to go out and conquer the land. And every tribe did that but one. And that's the tribe of the Danites, the tribe of Dan. And they did not do what God wanted them to do. And so what happened was, is that they never had a place to call their own. Now that's significant, because they were given a choice piece of property in Israel. Right in the middle, an area was known as the Shephelah, which was a place of farming. 
So they had this and onto the coastal plain toward the, the Mediterranean Sea. They had a nice slice of land in there, but they could not go in there and defeat anybody. And so they basically kind of cowered and went off into other places until you meet them in chapter 18. So here's the Danites. Notice what happens. And the children of Dan, this is verse 2, sent their family, of their family, five men of their coasts. Now, who's five men? Spies. This is just like in the book of Exodus, where, where um, Moses was sending out the, the spies to spy out the land. And uh, so they spy out the land and they come back. And what happens? Uh, ten of them, say, they all say it was wonderful and beautiful and great. But ten of them say, oh, there's giants in the land, we can't defeat them. And only two, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, we can. Now, in this situation, here's another group of spies. Not twelve this time, but five. So five Danite spies, they take off and they go searching for a land that they can conquer. So there are five men, men of valor from Zorah and from Eshtael, to spy out the land, to search it, and they said unto them, Go search the land when, you, when they came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah. They lodged there. Told you Micah was going to come back into the play. Because here's these five spies. They're going out looking for a place where they can dwell. A group of people they can defeat and then have a place for their, for their tribe. And all of a sudden, the Lord directed, not the Lord directed, they just happened to come along Micah. Now, every good play has a section of humor. This is it. Okay? Now, as you read it, as I read it for you, you have to have your sanctified imagination clicking and see what's going to happen here. Look at verse 3. When they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite. What does that mean? Apparently, Levites had an accent or a way that they talked that was recognizable to other Israelites. So they came across Micah's house, and all of a sudden, they hear this guy singing Amazing Grace off in the background. And he's, he's got a voice and an accent that they say, Ooh, this guy's not from around here. And so they immediately ask about that. And they turned in thither and said unto him, Who brought us you hither, thee hither? In other words, how did you get here? Why are you here? From what makest thou this place? And what hast thou here? What are you doing here? It's the way we would say that. And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealing with Micah with me, and he hired me, and I am his priest. Now, I don't know if he went through the whole story of him stealing 1100, getting uh, his, the mother cursing in his ear, and, and then she has to go and reverses the curse and blesses him instead, and then he does all this. I don't know how much he rehearsed in their ears, but he told them enough to know this was quite a, quite a situation they were involved in. And he saith unto him, Thus and thus deal with Micah with me, and he hired me, and I am his priest. And they said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray thee, of God, that we may know whether our way to which we go prospers. Okay. You see another pattern here? 
these Danites come to the house. They see this Levite. They know that, hey, we get this guy to bless us. He's got a channel with God. So let's see how much we can get out of him. That's the same thing that Ahab did with Jehoshaphat when he wanted to take Ramoth Gilead. And, and he was, and Jehoshaphat said, eh, don't you have anybody here we can uh, have come out and pray? And so they said, oh yeah, I got 400 prophets here. Let's, let's inquire of them. So they all come out, yes, king, go king, do it. And then Jehoshaphat says to him, isn't there somebody else here that can tell us the truth? I love Ahab's line. And there's one. Micaiah is his name. But this is what scripture says. But I hate him. Absolutely he would hate him. Because he told him the truth. So these five spies come to this Levite and they say, tell us, are we going to go in there and defeat these people so that we can have a place for our people? And notice what he says. And the priest said to them, go in peace for the Lord is in your way. Wherein you go? Well, that was a big lie. Here comes the humor. Told you there was humor. Here it comes. Then the five men departed and came to Laish, or Leshem, and saw the people that were therein, how they dwelt careless after the manner of the Zidonians, quiet and secure, and there was no magistrate in the land that might put them in shame to anything. And they were far from the Zidonians and had no business with any man. And they came unto their brethren in Zorah and Eshtael, and their brethren said to them, What say ye? All right, five spies, come back. Hey, there's a city here, and the city is easy to conquer. These people are a piece of cake. We can get them easily. So they go back to their old, their, all their brethren, and notice what happens, what he says here. Um, verse 9, And they said, Arise, that we may go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. It's, it's, and are we still, is, be not slothful, and go in to possess the land. When you go, you shall come unto the people secure into a large land, for God has given it in your hands a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. And there went a thence of the family of the Danites out of Zorah and out of Eshtael, 600 men appointed with weapons of war. And they went and they pitched their tent in Kajash-Jerim in Judah, whereupon they called the place Mahanadon unto this, unto this day, behold, it is behind uh, Kirjath Jerem, and they passed fence Mount Ephraim, and they came unto the house of Micah. <laughs> All right, now we're in Act 2, Scene 2. All these, dan- these five spies, they've left, they've gone back. They now have 600. One, five, 600. And they're all men of war. So they all follow the five spies. They go back, they're at Micah's house. And they're ready to be able to see what they can do. And so the Bible tells us um, in verse 14, Then answered the five men that went to spy out the country of Laish, and he said unto the brethren, Do you know that there is in these house an ephod, and a teraphim, and a graven image, and a molten image? Now therefore consider what you, you have, have to do. And they turned aside, and they turned thitherward, and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even unto the house of Micah, and saluted him. And the 600 men appointed with their weapons of war, which were the children of Dan, and stood by the entrance of the gate. Now picture with me. Here are these 600. They don't come come unnoticed. So they come up with the five spies, and they knock at Micah's door. And all of a sudden they realize maybe in this back house there's a Levite there, and they recognize the way he talks. 
And all of a sudden they say, hmm, it's a Levite. You know, we need a Levite. We, we need a Levite. And so they think what themselves, what I need to do is we need to steal everything from them, from him, from Micah's, and we need to steal the Levite too. And so they come to him, to the Levite, and they say, how much is he paying you? We can pay you more. We can give you a better retirement. We can provide you a better house. Wouldn't you rather be a prophet of many people than a priest of one? <clears throat> now, that's all in there. Take time to read it. But let me tell you the conclusion of it. These 600 guys, they all crowd around the entrance of the gate to Micah's house. Enough so that the five spies sneak around them. And they go into the house of the Levite and they steal all of his stuff. They take the molten images, they take the ephod, they take the teraphim, they take all the household gods, and they walk out with them while the 600 guys have got Micah all engulfed in their big huddle. Can you see the humor of that? And so all of a sudden, they start to walk away. And Micah goes back, and he looks at his house, and his priest is gone. And all of his household gods are gone. And everything, ephod's gone. And he realizes, what has happened here? Let me just kind of read you a little bit of what the Bible says, how the Bible describes this. Um, look at verse 24. And he said, this is Micah, you have taken away my gods, which I made. I mean, how would you want to admit to that? I made molten images. I made my own gods. When you know what the Bible says, and you know what a lot of these guys would know. But he says there, I've made the gods which I made, and the priests, and you have gone away. You've taken everything. In other words, he said there, look at the last half of the verse. And what have I more? Now, what, what worse thing could you have taken from me? You've taken away the worst thing you could have taken away. And what is this that ye say unto me, what aileth thee? <laughs> In other words, Michael, why are you upset? Why do you mean why am I upset? You've taken my priest, you've taken everything that I have. It's all gone. And you dare ask me, what's wrong with you? Look at verse 25. And the children of Dan said unto him, let not thy voice be heard amongst, amongst us, lest angry fellows run upon thee, and thou shalt lose thy life and the life of thy household. In other words, hey, buddy, Micah, this has happened. Sorry, bud, but you know, you better keep your mouth shut because if the other of the 600 that are not as friendly as we are, if they hear you mumbling on like that, they're going to come along and they're going to kill you and they're going to kill everybody that's with you. So Micah being the brave guy that he is, the Bible tells us, and children of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and he went back into his house. He took off, and they took the things which Micah had made, and the priests which, and the priests which he had, and came to Laish and all the people that were quiet and secure, and they smote them over the edge of the sword and burnt the city with fire. So they took this town, killed all the people, got rid of them, and made a town for themselves. Now that's Act 1 and Act 2. 
both scenes, and now you know the story of Micah, who is not like the Micah that you know from the Old Testament, but this Micah, who would give you the idea of this is where ungodliness takes you. And when the ungodliness comes from within, where does it go? And in conclusion, let's look at verse 30 and 31. Because there's one conclusion in verse 30, and there's another in verse 31. And the children of Dan set up the graven image. And remember I told you that the Levite was not named? Here it is. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh. Now that's, King James gives you the word Manasseh. But actually that's not Manasseh, that was the grandfather of Josiah. That the word Manasseh is another word for Moses. So this was a distant relative, descendant of Moses, was this young priest who prostituted himself to these other Danites. And he was in the line of Moses. Not long after all that had happened with the golden calf business. Not too long. And right after the death of Joshua. So the sad part is, is that here's a guy that was a Levite, had all the qualifications to be God's man. And he gave it all up for money. Conclusion number two, verse 31. And they set them up, this is these gods that were made, graven images, set up Micah's graven image, which he made, all the time at the house of God was in Shiloh. Shiloh was the place where the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was kept. And the writer here of the book of Judges in these two chapters is letting you know all of what we just told you. That the Danites didn't have to run north to actually establish the city that they took was Laish. It became Dan. So you know the expression that Israel went from Dan to Beersheba, the north to the south. They could have been just above the middle in a lot better territory. But they were gutless and ungodly. And this character Micah is a great illustration of what that's become. So here this Levite does all this stuff and helps him set up this adulterous worship, idolatrous worship up in the city of Dan when the ark, the presence of God was right there in Shiloh. That's our play tonight. That's our story. There again, the theme of it is what happens within is a greater consequence than the issues that happen without. So God's people need to be concerned about the issues that are on the outside, the various things that we have to battle with, yes. But God wants us to be very mindful of what happens on the inside. The Lord helps us keep our heart clean our worship correct, and our desire to please God in everything that we do. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.